Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. If you follow sports, you know that indigenous people have strong representation in ice hockey. If you don't follow sports, you might want to after today's show because we're going to hear about how native talent on the ice is taking tribal pride to sports fans everywhere. It's especially true north of the border, where First Nations, Inuit, and Métis young people are usually never far from a hockey rink. We're talking about native hockey today, right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Art Hughes, in for Antonio Gonzalez. The Duwamish tribe in Washington state is suing for federal recognition. The suit filed this week claims the Department of Interior continues to deny recognition, even though Congress ratified the Treaty of Point Elliott, a document signed by Duwamish leaders. The treaty exchanged thousands of acres of land for continued hunting and fishing rights and creation of a reservation in what is now Washington's most populous county. In their lawsuit, attorneys for the tribe accused the government of discrimination by discounting the lineage of female ancestors who married non-Native men. Among those opposing the Duwamish recognition effort is the nearby Muckleshoot tribe, who say Duwamish members merged with the Muckleshoots and other tribes and don't have a separate recognition claim. Tribal leaders are offering their observations following this week's release of a report by the Department of Interior documenting abuses at federal boarding schools, Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. says the report is long overdue. Nearly a fifth of the boarding schools were in Oklahoma. The Ponca News reports Hoskin says the document spurs discussion about more robust examinations about places where children who died while attending boarding schools are buried and how to give them the dignity they deserve. Congress has cleared a short-term extension of a federal law that compensates people in the West who were exposed to radiation during the Cold War. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, supporters hope it'll give lawmakers more time to craft a larger expansion of the program. The Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA, is set to expire in July. Several members of Congress and tribal leaders want the program extended through 2040 and expand eligibility to include more geographic areas. They also want geranium mine, mill, and transportation workers who were exposed after 1971 to be covered under the law. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez is urging lawmakers to increase individual compensation to $200,000. RECA provides one-time payouts to people known as downwinders who were exposed to radiation from nuclear weapons testing. It also includes uranium industry workers, many of whom were tribal members and suffer from various types of cancers and other long-term health problems caused by the exposure. The U.S. Senate approved the measure earlier this month, and it now heads to President Joe Biden's desk. The U.S. conducted nearly 200 atmospheric nuclear weapons tests between 1945 and 1962. The rush to mine uranium on tribal lands in the southwest throughout the Cold War left more than 500 abandoned uranium mines, few of which have been cleaned up. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. The Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians is purchasing land and buildings for their ambitious cannabis production plans. Smoky Mountain News reports the Tribal Council agreed to pay $15 million for 95 acres. The deal includes two motel buildings. The tribe legalized medical marijuana use and allows possession of up to an ounce of marijuana on tribal land. 
For now, marijuana remains illegal in the state of North Carolina. The Eastern Band of Cherokee is also moving ahead with a $75 million project officials are calling a themed spectacle in Tennessee. The tribe is partnering with a French theme park company to develop 200 acres of land for an attraction organizers say will center on Cherokee history. After 16 years as chairman of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa, Aaron Payment is stepping down. His resignation comes after the tribal council censured him in January, alleging a host of infractions, including mismanagement. Payment has held elected office with the tribe for 20 years and has had several posts in Native organizations, including executive leadership with the National Congress of American Indians. He'll continue serving on the National Advisory Council of Indian Education. With National Native News, I'm Art Hughes. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Indian Loan Guarantee and Insurance Program has worked with lenders for almost 50 years, supporting them as they support you. Have a development or construction project? Information at bia.gov DCI, which supports this show. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The first round of the National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoffs wraps up this weekend. And you know who we're cheering for? Teams with indigenous players. TJ Oshie skates for the Washington Capitals. Brandon Montour with the Florida Panthers. Ethan Bear on the Carolina Hurricanes. Connor Dewar with the Minnesota Wild. And the list goes on. The NHL playoffs extended into June, but today we're celebrating the sport and its place in indigenous communities because in many places, especially Canada, hockey is just as big as basketball. Indigenous tournaments happen all season long, and many athletes start skating as soon as they can walk. Are you a hockey fan? Do you have a favorite indigenous player? Lace up those skates and join our hockey show today. 1-800-996-2848 is the number to call to share your takes on one of the fastest sports in the world. That's also one 800 Nine Nine Native. On the show today, we have a trio of First Nations guests who all eat, sleep, and breathe ice hockey. What more can I say? They're certified hockey nuts. First up is Harlan Kingfisher, who is speaking with us from Edmonton in Alberta, Canada. He's the founder of Smudge the Blades Hockey Apparel. He's Plains Cree from Sturgeon Lake First Nation. Harlan, welcome to Native America Calling. Hey, how's it going, man? Happy to be on the show. I'm doing great. Who do you like for the Stanley Cup? I got to stick with my hometown team, the Edmonton Oilers. They uh, won a big game last night, and we go to game seven tomorrow night. So looking forward to that one. All right. Do or die there on Saturday night. Harlan, hockey has been a big part of your life since childhood. Tell us why you love the game. Yeah, it was a big part of my life. Is one of the uh, main things that got me um, thinking about doing other things on, on my First Nation community. Uh, a lot of stuff happening on uh, indigenous communities, and hockey was kind of uh, a way uh, a way out, a way to think of something else to do, um, keep me busy. And as I got older, yeah, definitely 
took me across Canada to travel to play in um, hockey tournaments, hockey games, and then eventually uh, made a junior hockey team, uh, which continued on to uh, university hockey. So I played a year of university hockey and led me to uh, the Indigenous hockey tournament circuit, which uh, all my memories of all the fun times playing with friends and family and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a part of my life. Uh, right up in, I'm 38 right now, so it's been yeah, <laughs> over 30 years. And I understand you met your wife through hockey. Is that right? Yeah, I was playing university hockey uh, with the Augustana Vikings. Uh, it was my second season, and ended up meeting my wife. Uh, she was attending university as well, and uh, had a my boy who's 14 right now. Had him just a year later after meeting, got married, started a family, and kind of switched my uh, way from being a hockey player to uh, becoming a dad and husband. So, uh, but hockey was always there. Um, I played like I said those Indigenous tournaments. The age never stops. You can play until you're probably 80 years old in an old timer division <laughs> if you like. But for sure, it's, 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 been, it's been awesome. Well, it's wonderful to hear about your life experience. Harlan, at what age do most Native kids in Canada start playing hockey? Uh, most, most kids uh, usually play around uh, like probably eight or, eight, or, eight or nine years old when they're, when they're young. It all depends, right? Uh, a lot of uh, Indigenous communities um, have a lot of hockey players but aren't able to play organized hockey um, just because of the cost, the registration fees, and stuff like that. So. As they get older, if you're uh, one of those kids that's lucky um, enough to have a family or supporting um, community that pays for registration fees and hockey commitment and allows you to play, uh, those, are the, those are the kids that yeah, grow up playing. Um, they play in the, in, in the cities, and then they end up well, hopefully making a, ju- a junior team and a university team. So for sure, it's all ages, but it's just kind of uh, depending on the, everyone's situation. So it's kind of hard to get out there. So that's why... With my brand, my clothing brand, um, I, I do try to give back to Indigenous youth to help them uh, play. I play registration fees and hockey equipment, so that's uh, my goal for my brand. Yeah, it's really wonderful to hear about that. And I want to talk more about your brand, but I'm also interested in just learning more about ice hockey and Native communities in Canada. Are there a lot of ice rinks on Native lands where kids can skate? Uh, a lot of the bigger uh, Indigenous communities are here. Um, they do have hockey rinks. Not every Indigenous community has them, but there is quite a bit across Canada. And, um, yeah, like, so a big part of uh, Indigenous hockey up here in Canada is there's these huge Indigenous hockey tournaments straight from minor hockey up until uh, adults can play. So that's uh, a big part of um, the Indigenous culture out here. Is it's kind of like we have powers in the summer and um, Indigenous hockey tournaments in the winter. You Thousands of people come and support their community, um, lots of hockey players, and it's usually happening every weekend across Canada. So pretty much every weekend, uh, there's something going on in every province. So it's really it's really amazing to see. Now, do some Native teams travel far for those all-Native tourneys you're talking about? Oh, for sure. Like there's uh, Just to give you an example, there's one, uh, one of the biggest ones coming up that's the uh, Freddie Stackamoose National Championship in Saskatoon, and there's teams from all over Canada, like from every province, I'm pretty sure is sending a team. So it's a big, big uh, um, event. And a lot of these uh, Indigenous communities are flying from like, from everywhere, like Nunavut and um, Northwest Territories. So we've got some teams from all over the place. And it's, it's really cool to see because uh, the community gets behind their players and they fly down and probably family members. So it's a big, big, big tournament. It's probably the biggest in Canada and it's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, it's it's crazy uh, the amount of travel people people will make to go attend these tournaments. You mentioned Freddie Saskamoose, uh, a legendary First Nations player, played in the NHL, played for the Chicago Blackhawks. Arlen, why do you think hockey is so popular among Native people in Canada? Is there a cultural connection? 
Oh, that, there's definitely a cultural connection. Um, when you see as a youth, and when you and you and you grow up playing hockey, uh, you, you see these uh, ex NHL players, um, and like like Freddie Sakamura said, set an example. They're like the the trail burners of the sport, and they they went out there and um, when no Indigenous other uh, hockey players were were doing anything like that, they left their community. They um, stayed strong through all the craziness that they went through, and they made the NHL. So it shows. Uh, to other Indigenous youth like myself and others, um, like that, we we can do it and we can um, play hockey and go go to the highest level. So it's it's, it's amazing uh, to see the NHL players in today's sports uh, being so active on their social media, getting involved with uh, Indigenous communities, and it's uh, it's it's really awesome to see where Indigenous hockey is going up here. Well, tell us more about your hockey brand, Smudge the Blades. Is it gaining traction among Indigenous people? Yeah, I started Smudge of Blades in 2020. Um, uh, when COVID hit up here, it kind of shut down all the hockey tournaments. And I could see on social media that everyone was wanting to go to these tournaments, but everything was canceled. So I thought, hey, this might be a good time to launch a clothing brand that uh, that this is what my brand was all about. It was an Indigenous hockey. So it blew up. I, got, I did a bunch of interviews, and um, it's so awesome seeing people across Canada and the United States uh, wearing my gear, wearing it proudly, sending me photos. Um, it, it's it's just amazing. Uh, Smudge Blaze is all about Indigenous hockey, and like I said before, like uh, Indigenous hockey in Canada, it's not just a, a sport up here. It's, it's more of like a cultural celebration, and we're we're enjoying it every weekend. We're enjoying cheering for everybody, and it's just been amazing. It's great to hear about your success. Um, what is the the connection, the cultural connection there with that name, Smudge the Blades? Yeah, so there's actually a story behind Smudge of Blades. Um, when I was younger, I got I was playing uh, U18 hockey and I got injured pretty bad. I got a big cross check on my back and I couldn't move. So I went and saw my 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 grandfather who was a medicine man, and he ended up doing some uh, medicine on my back. And he told me he's like, hey, if you ever um, like feel like you need to, protection, like don't, don't like smudge your hockey equipment, smudge your hockey stick, smudge your skates. So that's kind of where the Smudge of Blades came from. And the next morning I woke up and my back didn't hurt. So I was like, Oh my God. So I went and played hockey, uh, hockey game that night. And just going forward after that moment, I kind of uh, smudged my hockey equipment. So, and it's really cool because uh, people message me on Instagram and Facebook and they, they let me know that they, they also smudge their gear before big tournaments or they smudge their kids gear to ask for protection. And uh, just, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all good vibes from uh, smudging for sure. Now I understand you have some pro players that wear smudge the blades too, right? Yeah, so when I first started Smudge of Blades, I got uh, I reached out to a lot of hockey players. Um, a lot of them were so awesome, and they would they were loving to get some gear to wear. And um, I sent gear to pretty much everybody that I could think of and speak to. I sent yeah, I sent gear to Ethan Bear and uh, his uh, fiance Lanasia. I sent gear for like Brady Keeper, his wife, and a lot of them are supporting and they post on social media. So posting on social media goes a long way for a hockey brands like myself. Like. People can see that uh, they have a lot of followers and a lot of Indigenous hockey players, and they recognize my brand. And as my brand grows, it's cool to see other um, young athletes, uh, university players, U18 um, players that are going to be making, taking that next step to college. And it's all just spreading spreading the word about Smudge of Blades, and eventually um, it's just going to come back to uh, getting more sales and going back into uh, Indigenous youth sports. Now you shared that one drawback to hockey is is the the cost. It's expensive, and I played as a kid, and I know my mom spent a lot of money on gear and league fees, camps, and all that stuff. So tell us more how Smudge the Blades assists Native families who can't cover all those costs that come with youth hockey. 
Yeah, so I started this brand um, in 2020, like I said, and a big part of my brand is what I wanted to do with, with the, um, some profits from the sales is, is to help those, those youth that, that need. So on social media, um, I get emails, I get messages, just the parents explaining their situation. And um, if I have the money and I helped a lot of families last year, I, I do definitely um, love to give back. So I'll reach out to their minor hockey organization and pay it directly, uh, their registration fees, which can be up to like $450 a, a season per player. And also, if they're short on hockey commitment that they that they need before hockey camps, I, I definitely reached out and got them uh, two other like big businesses that sell sporting gear, and so they can come in there and just kind of try their gear on, and, and I'd pay for it. So it, it's it's really awesome to see because eventually one of those kids, you know, in my mind that could make the NHL, and something um, that I did for them, or they got free gear, they were able to play that year, um, will go a long way, and then in the future they can help the next generation. So that's what. Um, my my mindset is behind that. Yeah, it's just so great to see you paint it forward like that. And you just never know what some assistance might someday create, what kind of change it can produce in a young person's life. We are talking ice hockey today. Are you an NHL fan? Are you watching the playoffs? Lots going on on television, lots going on in the news. And we're talking about a native angle. We're talking about native hockey players First Nations players in Canada. We've got a lot more to talk about on the show. We do have to take a short break, but if you've got a question or a comment for one of our guests, 1-800-996-2848. We're waiting for your call. The Seneca Nation's contributions to the urban landscape are legendary. Starting in the early 20th century, Seneca iron workers built a reputation as skilled, hardworking, and fearless, and put their stamp on the most iconic buildings in New York City. It's a legacy that continues today. We'll get up to speed with Seneca iron workers, both past and present, on the next Native America Calling. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Slick skating, lightning fast slap shots, bone crushing body checks. It's hockey and we're in the second period of our show today and we want you on the ice. Call in. Tell us why you're a fan. Who's your favorite Native player? Who's your favorite team? 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Kenora in Ontario, Canada is Trevor Iserhoff. He's the host of the Res Hockey Podcast. He's Cree from the Moose Cree First Nation. Trevor, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Trevor, who are the Native players to keep an eye on in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year? Um, as of right now, there's uh, you got TJ Oshie from Washington Capitals. You got Brandon Montour, Florida Panthers. You got uh, Coach 
Craig Ruby, who's uh, coaching St. Louis Blues, uh, Ethan Bear, Carolina Hurricane. So, uh, yeah, there's a good uh, good number of uh, First Nation players representing uh, Turtle Island in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm glad you mentioned T.J. Oshie. I'm a Capitals fan myself, and I understand your family has a connection to T.J. Oshie. Yeah, my son, his my, his uh, mom's side of the family, his great-great-uncle gave T.J. his Indian name back when T.J. was uh, playing at the University of North Dakota. Wow, really interesting. And T.J. is actually an American-born player. I know he's uh, from Ward, Wisconsin, uh, spent a lot of his childhood there in Everett, Washington. So amazing story. I know my wife's going to be excited to hear about that because she's a big T.J. Oshie fan as well. Trevor, when were you first introduced to hockey? I was first introduced when I was probably a young kid, four or five, when I started skating. Um, our community didn't have a rink, so we learned how to skate on the road. Like uh, winter's probably more than six months out of the year, and it's very cold. So we had to learn how to skate on the rivers and, and on the road because it was the road was pretty much ice. Who were some native hockey players you looked up to while growing up? Uh, growing up, um, we were a small community, so I looked up to my cousin Darwin and Rob Chama. My dad played. Um, I grew up with Jonathan Chuchu, who was who played for the San Jose Sharks. So he had a lot of uncles um, that we looked up to growing up. Girls and women's hockey has really blown up both in Canada and down here in the States. Who are your favorite female players? Um, I was lucky to uh, interview on our podcast, Kelly Babstock. She plays professional hockey in Connecticut. Um, I interviewed uh, Victoria Bach. She was an alternate for the Team Canada Olympics team this past Olympics. So there's a lot. Uh, Abby Rock, she's from uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And Jocelyn LaRock, she was on Team Canada as well. So there's a lot of good female uh, First Nation hockey players. The game has changed a lot over the years. Do you think there are better opportunities for Native hockey players now than when you were growing up? I think so. Now with uh, social media and YouTube, um, scouts are able to watch the videos instead of saying if a kid lives in a flying community where it's hard to get into that community. So you could just post something on YouTube, Facebook, and a scout um, is able to watch. Plus, like going to school now, it, it's a lot easier compared to me when I was uh, a late teenager, young adult. So there's way more opportunities. And it, it's good. It's good for these kids to uh, take advantage of that also. Listeners, if you want to give a shout out to one of our guests today or any native hockey player, the number is 1-800-996-2848. Again, that's 1-800-996-2848. Anyone from Canada knows the music we played just before our last break. It's the old theme from Hockey Night in Canada, the iconic show that has been broadcasting NHL games since before any of us on the show today were even born. Recently, a Cree man did play-by-play for several games on Hockey Net in Canada, and the coolest thing about it, he announced the games in the Cree language. What do you know about that, Trevor? Um, 
We have a TV station up here called APTN, so they promoted lots, and it was it was good to see. I I I watched it. It's on every Saturday, so instead of watching it on the regular channel, I'll turn it on to APTN and I'll listen live. And um, even though it's a different dialect, it's exciting because the announcer gets so excited uh, um, announcing the game. So it, it's fun to watch, and I really enjoy it. What's been the response from other Cree people and other Indigenous folks there in Canada? It, it's a good, positive um, thing happening. Um, I think it's a long time coming, and it's good to have other, just other cultures to, to tune in the show to and just watch what, how excited that we get when we watch hockey. As the announcer, just he's he gets so happy and excited. Yeah, I'll bet. Trevor, tell us more about the Res Hockey Podcast. What inspired you? Um, I'm a big fan of different podcasts, um, but there was one. There's there was no c- content on Aboriginal First Nation players, so I wanted to get uh, a view of the players, have them share their stories, and I w- really wanted to reach out to the youth because I want the the guests to share their stories of what it takes to get to that next level and maybe help the younger players succeed to reach that next level of uh, hockey. What are some of the topics you cover in specifics on, on the podcast? What kind of guests do you bring in? Um, I actually had Harlan. He was a guest on our 20, 21st episode, I think. So I just want guys, uh, the guests to, to share their stories of, where they played and the dedication and commitment that it takes, healthy eating, the staying away from the drugs and the alcohol and how important school is. And just to share to the youth, because I know the youth are listening and I wish I had that. Um, someone tell me at, at that, at their age, that what it takes to get to that next level. So it's just, just a lot of sharing and sharing stories and just uh, words of encouragement. Trevor, what about other great native NHL players from the past? Anyone else you want to mention? Uh, we got lots. We got like Reggie Leach. He played. He was a Stanley Cup winner with the Philadelphia Flyers. You got Ted Nolan, Coach of the Year for Buffalo Sabers. Like I mentioned earlier, Jonathan Chichu. He won the Maurice Richard Trophy. Um, a lot of guys like John Shabbat. He played in the eighties. And there's the list that goes on and on. And then on my show, I have a lot of former pro players and NHL players that come on the show and share their stories of when they played. So it's very interesting and it's funny. We have a lot of good laughs and they share a lot of funny stories as well. And these NHL and native players, do they give back to the communities? Do you see them out there reaching out to youth and, and being role models? Yeah, a lot of the former players now, they uh, put on hockey schools, they go in the community, they give motivation, uh, their uh, motivation speakers. So they go back to the community, they help out as much as they can, put in on hockey camps. So it's good to see that they're giving back to the community. So, um, yeah, it's you got a lot of players doing that nowadays, so it's good to see. 
Yeah, it's really exciting. And I'm, I'm a big Ted Nolan fan. You mentioned him, a former NHL player and a coach and his sons as well. Uh, a couple of them have played in the NHL. Anyone with a question, anyone with a comment, anyone with an insight, anybody who just wants to talk a little bit of hockey, what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. That is the number. Our next guest is joining us from Calgary in Alberta, Canada. His name is Leighton Burns Marion. He's a right winger, and he wore jersey number 48 last season on the Concordia Wisconsin Falcons hockey team. He's Cree from the James Smith Cree Nation in Treaty 6. Leighton, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Great to be on. It's going, yeah, it's going great. I'm, I'm really excited you're on the show too. Leighton, how old are you and how long have you been playing hockey? Uh, I'm 22 right now. I've been playing hockey since I was seven. And yeah, so I started my second year novice. So I started out pretty late. So then, yeah, so I played my minor hockey in Melfort and then I moved on to the Applemary College in Notre Dame, which is like a pretty prestigious school in uh, Wilcox, Saskatchewan. Then I went on to play juniors, and then I went on to play NCAA Div Three in Wisconsin. So you mentioned you started playing at hockey at age seven, and apparently where you're from, that's that's kind of late to get started in the game. Yeah, it's actually really late to get started. I should have been playing when I was like in. Uh, pre-novice, which is, but that would be four, no, six. Yeah, four years old. I should have started when I was four, but I was pretty late to the game. So, like, right around the time a, a child would start school is about the time, I guess, a lot of these kids start playing where you're at. Last year, you played college hockey in Wisconsin. What motivated you to come down to the States to go to school? Oh, well, they actually, after my junior, my 20-year-old year in Melfort, I got that was my offer I got from uh, one of the schools, so I thought that was my best option and it would uh, help uh, better my game. So yeah, that's what made my decision. It was pretty fun. Now, do you come from a family of hockey players? Oh yes, my dad actually played hockey, and my grandpa. Yeah, pretty much all my family played hockey, but I just don't know why I started so late. I guess. <laughs> Have you always been a forward? Oh, yeah. I've, yeah, I've always been a forward. Actually, I played one-year defense. It actually helped out with my backward skating a lot. That was in PBAA my first year. Yeah, so I played one-year defense, and that's about it. The skating, I think that's what intimidates a lot of people about hockey or trying to play hockey. But how long does it take, Leighton, to become a, a proficient hockey skater? Uh, I think it takes... A lot, lots of lots and lots of hours of hard work on the ice and just like knowing knowing your edges so yeah it just takes a bunch of hours and you just got to trust your edges and you just got to feel them out yeah so it's pretty intimidating at first but once you once you get used to it and trust your skating ability then you're pretty much good to go and what do you like best about the sport uh, what I like best about the sport is like meeting new people all over the country, making new friends, and like keeping those connections, like talking to them every once in a while, and just saying, and just like seeing, even like seeing them at native tournaments. Like I have a bunch, bunch of buddies that are from different reserves, and uh, yeah, just like meeting them, seeing them, saying hi to them. Yeah, so it's just awesome meeting new friends, and even like scoring goals is awesome. 
and just yeah, just everything about the game is pretty cool. What's the toughest part? The toughest part? Yeah. I mean, I'd have to. Um, I think toughest part would probably be uh, for Indigenous kid. I'd say probably leaving home because, like, I think you have to leave the reserve to make it somewhere. Like, you have to say, like, because I have to leave the reserve to play minor hockey in Melford and then leave the reserve to go play, like, the prestigious uh, Atha Murray College of Notre Dame school. So, yeah, so I think that would be the hardest part for an Indigenous kid. Well, one thing I want to talk with you about, Leighton, as well, is, you know, hockey does take some heat over concerns, you know, the physical aspect of the sport and specifically its reputation for fighting. But I want to ask you, as a player, is it really as violent out there on the ice as it can appear sometimes on television? Uh, not really. There is some heated moments, but that's just, that's just part of the game, I think. But if there's like some hockey players that don't like that part of the game, but I think it'll always be, always be a part of the game. Cause like there's, there'll always be, always be like a hit from behind or like a dirty, a dirty hit. And then you have to like pay the price, I guess, or answer the bell, I guess. So, yeah. For people that haven't played the game or, or watch it much, I don't think they always really understand. Like sometimes you'll see two players and, and they'll drop their gloves at center ice and they'll just be really wailing on each other. They'll both get major penalties. They get sent to the penalty box. And in a, in a rink, right, the penalty box is they're positioned close together so the players can like look at each other still and they can communicate. And sometimes you'll see them after what looks like a really bad fight and they're like joking around with each other, kind of, you know, like chumming around. So isn't it a little bit of showmanship too sometimes? Yeah, yeah, I think it is because it definitely in that rink it definitely gets the crowd going, and like it gets like the team both teams fired up once you hear the all the roars from the crowd. So yeah, I think it's definitely a part of showmanship. Let me ask Harlan. Harlan, as a player, did you ever get in a lot of fights on the ice? Uh, myself, I was more the. Uh... The goal scorer. <laughs> I, I didn't actually get into fights. I, well, I got actually got the uh, most sportsmanlike award my three years junior, which I don't know. I'm pretty proud of that. But most players uh, get get like getting rough, uh, get into some fights once in a while. But I was I was always a skinny, uh, uh, tall boy. I was about 156 pounds, six two. Uh, couldn't throw. I never fought before, but I was good at putting the puck in the net. So that's when I made my uh, made like what I kind of played was the playmaker, goal scorer type role. You were a finesse player. I got it. Yeah. Trevor, how about you? Uh, I was the opposite of Harlan. I was pretty much uh I don't I don't want to say goon, but yeah, it's, <laughs> but yeah, I was pretty uh if I, I did whatever the coach told me to. If I had to fight, I fought. You know, if I had to do something to win the game, I would do it. But yeah, I was totally opposite from when Harlan played. <laughs> <laughs> so you were that enforcer out there on the ice. Leighton, who's your favorite native player in the NHL right now? Oh, my favorite native player is probably, I got to say, Brandon Montour. Cause, just because he's lighting it up. And I, he's like such a skilled player, too. I watch his like highlights every every now and then, and he's like such a skilled player. And what position does he play? Oh, he plays defense. Oh, okay. 
So as a forward, uh, as opposed to a defenseman, what's the generally, um, like, what is it? To, what's the, what's when you look at the positions, they're a little bit different. I know you have different size players that, that play different positions. Um, some of the skating requirements, like you mentioned earlier, a player that plays on defense, they've got to really be able to skate backwards really well. I think forwards sometimes have to scale a bit faster. And we're going to talk more about that, what it takes to play the game, what the skill positions are, and what those unique attributes that are required of the athletes if you want to chime in on the show, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We are talking ice hockey today on Native America Calling, and we really want to hear from you, our guests. So give us a call. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we'll be right back. Support by the Native American Disability Law Center. The Native American Disability Law Center advocates for the rights of Native Americans with disabilities so those rights are enforced, strengthened, and brought into harmony with their communities. There is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org who support this show. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about indigenous hockey today. Are you following native hockey players at the youth, high school, college, or professional levels? A lot of great native players out there, both male and female. Still time to call in. Tell us about your favorite indigenous hockey player or what team you're rooting for in the Stanley Cup. We're at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Hey, let's go for the hat trick. one 800 996-2848. And we've got a caller on the line right now. Ray, Shiprock, New Mexico, listening on KSUT. Ray, you're on Native America Calling. Okay, all right. So, well, thank you for taking my call. You know, I was just listening and stuff, and like with the four corners around here, like uh, New Mexico and in this area, the, a lot of interest for basketball or football, but is, is, you know, not hockey. So I was just thinking, uh, you guys ever thought about um, those guys? Uh, ever thought about doing the exhibition out this way to generate some interest among the young people around here for the native native population? So that was my question. All right. Well, thanks. You bet, Ray. Thanks for calling in. That's a really good question. I want to ask Harlan. Any thought of? I mean, you've got that brand. Um, do, you, do you travel around uh, down to the states? Would that is that something that's on your radar coming to some of these native communities, kind of off the beaten path with regard to hockey and promoting the sport? Yeah, I think something like that would be definitely something um, my brand would love to get into. Um, I just started, like I said, it's a year ago, so we're kind of just uh, one of the newest hockey brands out here in Canada. Um, we're always looking for new things. Um, I'm, I'm talking to people on the, uh, Facebook and Instagram about um, holding hockey camps for youth and holding uh, hockey tournaments. And uh, I have never really looked into um, t talking to anybody out in the, the States yet. So that's something definitely um, as my brand grows and as I meet new people and maybe get to work with some, some uh, hockey players out in the States that would love to uh, get together and create something like that. That'd be awesome. 
Yeah, I'm sure they would welcome you with open arms. And for our caller, Ray from Shiprock, there, New Mexico does have a history of, of minor league hockey. There was a pretty successful minor league team in Albuquerque a number of years ago called the New Mexico Scorpions. And there's a, another junior league team that plays in Albuquerque called the New Mexico Wolves, and they just started a, a few years ago, and they get some pretty high-level players that come through that program. And Leighton, I, I want to ask you, as a college hockey player, an active player, what's the lifestyle like for an elite-level player like yourself? How much time do you spend at practice, working out, travel? What's that like? So basically Monday to Thursday, because we had uh, Friday or yeah, Friday off. Yeah, I'll just go Monday. Monday to Thursday, we'd have uh, so we'd have school in the morning, whatever classes we have. Uh, but we have a workout schedule too, which is like a time slot for six a.m., ten or twelve, and three. Uh, so that would so we have to get into one of those workout groups throughout the whole day. So that would be Monday to Thursday, and then Friday we'd have workouts off. And Monday to Thursday as well, we'd have practices from uh, two to two to three o'clock. So that would be Monday to Thursday, and then we'd have games Friday to Saturday. So just in between those, uh, whenever you have time, you just work on your homework and make sure you're getting good grades to be el- eligible to play. So yeah, that's what I saw would, was like there. Sounds like a, a really really busy schedule, Leighton. Another issue i wanted to talk about with you is is you do hear from some native players that they experience racism and i know earlier we mentioned ted nolan on the show former nhl player coach and he's one of my biggest native hockey heroes and he's been very open about the racism he experienced both as a player and a coach at all levels of the game is it still tough out there for native players and what is predominantly a white sport still Oh, I haven't experienced it lately, so I don't. I think like because all like the the like support of the uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, I feel what it's called, but uh, like the support of the oh, oh African Americans. That's what it's called. Like all the support of the African Americans. Uh, so I think it like slowed down because of that. But I, I experienced it when I was younger, like in my minor hockey days. So, yeah, I think it's really slowed down, though. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, Trevor, how about you growing up? What was? What, did you experience some of that out there on the ice as a Native player? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I have. Um, even with guys that were on my own team said some racial things towards me. Um, it, unfortunately it's still in today's game. Um, it's not as bad like when I played in the nineties and early two thousands compared to today, because a lot of things are recorded with tel- with your cell phones and posted on social media. So, but back then when I played, it, it, it was pretty bad and, and it's unfortunate, but I think that with today's technology and today's social media, that, um, a lot of uh, things are being said against racism, so it's good to see that it's there's a lot, there's a platform to be against racism, but unfortunately, it's still there. Mm. Well, it's good to hear that progress is being made. 
Leighton, what are your goals as a hockey player? Do you want to play beyond college? Oh, yes. After my next three years of either the CIS or AECAC, I'd either want to play uh, probably in Europe or maybe down in America somewhere, maybe like Southern Professional or uh, maybe like East Coast or somewhere in like Sweden or something. So that's what that's what I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I got to start working here. What advice can you offer Native kids, boys and girls, who have big hockey dreams? Uh, what I've always been told is that I think you got to work twice as hard in the sport because obviously we're like the less dominant color in the sport. So I say you got to work twice as hard, and every time you're on the ice, just give it 100%. You never know if it's going to be your last game. So, yeah, just work hard every time every chance you get. We talked earlier about how critical good skating skills are for a hockey player, but there are other skills as well. Stick handling. What else does a hockey player really need to be proficient in to excel on the ice? Uh, I think it's kind of like you got to get your IQ up there too. Your hockey IQ, like when to make the right plays and when to make the whether to skate it or make the right pass and and making those passes, not getting it intercepted. And yeah, I think it's like hockey IQ as well. Who's your favorite NHL team in the playoffs? Um, actually, I'm, Colorado, I'm the fan of the Colorado Avalanche. It's sitting pretty in the second round. <laughs> One thing I, I, I think is really interesting, and we were talking a little bit before the show, I was chatting with Trevor, who's up in Ontario, and he's a, a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And the Maple Leafs, their star player, one of their star players is na- a gentleman named Austin Matthews. He led the NHL season this year. He scored 60 goals more than any other player. And what I, I get a kick out of is he's actually from, he's not native, but he's from Arizona. And he actually grew up in Arizona. He played hockey in Arizona. And, and here, the, the best player, the high scoring, I should say, the high scoring player on the, the Maple Leafs is, is a kid from the Southwest, the United States, Arizona. Trevor, what's the reaction there um, among Maple Leafs fans and people in Ontario? Do they embrace this Arizona kid there on the Maple Leafs? Oh, yeah, for sure. He's our best player on the team. So, uh, for sure, he's always open with open arms. So uh, just as long as he keeps putting the puck in the net, I think he's going to be the most popular player. But like like you said, that yeah, he's from Arizona. But just as long as you work hard like he did and you keep working hard, practicing hard, that anyone from any uh, location can make the NHL or make college, play college hockey just as long as you keep working hard and live a good lifestyle. Well, as long as he puts the puck in the net, uh, people are happy, and hopefully he'll put the, the puck in the net a few times tomorrow and and get the, the Maple Leafs over this first round in the playoffs. And uh, Trevor, looking forward as the NHL playoffs uh, progress, who, who, are, who are the really hot teams right now, the strongest teams that look like they've got the best chance to win the Cup? Even, even though Toronto's playing Tampa Bay and I want my Toronto Maple Leafs to win. Tampa Bay is a really strong team. They're back-to-back Stanley Cup champs, so you can't uh, lead them out of the loop. So I think Tampa Bay, 
but I hope hopefully Toronto wins. But uh, Colorado Avalanche is another good team. They got a lot of young guys who are fast, who can shoot that puck. So I think Colorado will make the finals along with my Maple Leafs. So <laughs> we'll see if that uh, if the Leafs win tomorrow. Well, that would be an interesting Stanley Cup final, the Leafs versus the Avalanche. And we keep talking about these uh, southern U.S.-based teams uh, or, or programs, Arizona. They've got a team, the, the Coyotes and the Colorado Avalanche, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. and um, But there's a lot of teams up in Canada as well. And do you... Uh, Indigenous people in Canada, they, do they tend to root for the NHL teams that are in their part of the country, or are they just kind of where, where do the loyalties lie with regard to Indigenous people and NHL franchises? I'm asking Trevor. I think it's you can compare it to NFL football. Like in Wisconsin, you'll follow the Packers. In Minnesota, you'll follow the Vikings. So it's pretty much where you're from, I guess. Like uh, Harlan, he's he lives outside Edmonton, so he's gonna follow the Edmonton Oilers. I'm from Ontario, so I love the Leafs. So it's pretty much like where you're from in Canada. So every play, like every team, has their own territory. Well, listeners, still time to get in on this conversation again. Ice hockey, one eight hundred nine nine six two eight four eight. And Harlan, you were talking earlier about some of these big native tournaments that just draw indigenous teams from all over the provinces. And are there any like really legendary indigenous teams that just continue to win year in and year out? And they've got a following there amongst the indigenous communities in Canada. Yeah, for sure. There's all, uh, depending on where you're at, which province you're in, uh, Saskatchewan, you got your EBCN stars, you got uh, Red Pheasant Rebels. It's just uh, a lot of these communities, um, um, yeah, they, 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 they really get their youth into hockey. Um, some of them have uh, hockey rinks on their communities. So definitely there's, there's a few teams out there that are always uh, winning these tournaments. But um, depending on who you ask to, some of these uh, players get paid to play <laughs> from to travel to, so they get some imports to come help them. So definitely they uh, stack some teams, and it's really good hockey. And a lot of the teams uh, have multiple players from all over uh, helping them out too. So it's it's really good good, good hockey to go watch. Harlan, I know that um, you know the hockey camps are really popular in the summer, and even some of these like hockey academies that kids go to, and it just seems like it's getting harder and harder to compete with so much training and kids specialize earlier and earlier. Does that present challenges for indigenous youth, access to camps, access to the training? We already talked about how expensive the gear can be. Oh, that's uh, definitely, it's, it's like what the uh, Leighton was saying. You have to try twice as hard. Um, it's really hard to even get to the gym. Like for myself, uh, when I was there trying to play hockey, yeah, I, I did, I had nothing, right? I, I grew up on a farm, uh, didn't go to the gym barely went to uh to the city even so it is it is a uh, creates a challenge but like i said and what Leighton was saying um is if, if you're a youth and that's something that you're passionate about hockey you'll find a way to train and if it's on your own or with friends uh on your first nation community when you do have that chance to go to a hockey camp uh you can go and show them what you got and uh turn some heads and definitely get called to go play on some uh bigger teams for sure 
Leighton, what do you do to stay on your game during the off season? Oh, I stay in, like I just go to shinies every once in a while, and like just go to the gym and just go for jogs and just uh, yeah, just go for shinny, just skate every once in a while, and play in these native tournaments. And once that's all over, I just play some golf every once in a while, and then just go to the gym. Great. We are going to have to wrap up the show here in just a short minute, but I want to give each of you all a chance to uh, let our listeners know how to learn more about your careers and what you're doing with hockey. Leighton, what's the best way for listeners to follow you? Uh, I have a, a Facebook, Leighton McHale Burns Marion, or a Instagram, uh, which is lbm.48, and that's all my social media I have if you guys want to follow me. Okay. Trevor, where can we find Res Hockey Podcast? Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. Just search Res Hockey, and uh, you'll be able to find us. Harlan, how about Smudge the Blades Hockey Apparel? Hey, yeah, for sure. Instagram, Facebook, uh, just at Smudge the Blades. And also, most recently, I do some funny indigenous uh, hockey style TikTok. So we're at Smudge the Blades on there as well. And if anybody wants to go support my brand and um, wear some awesome indigenous hockey gear, you can go to www.smudgetheblades.com. Guys, it's been wonderful having you on the show today, talking some hockey. Thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure here at Native America Calling when we get a chance to connect with our indigenous brothers and sisters north of the border. So to Harlan Kingfisher, Leighton Burns Marion, and Trevor Eisenhoff, best of luck and continued success in your roles as ambassadors of Native hockey. Join us next week for another lineup of discussions about indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director, and Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Have a great weekend. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
and native nonprofit media organizations. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.